If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey there, hey there, happy hour listeners. Happy Friday. Today, we have a great show for you. In fact, it's one of my favorites we've recorded this year so far. Nate Knapper is here, and Nate was new to me, but I'm so excited to know about the organization that he runs. In fact, he's the founder and CEO of The Joseph Project, and The Joseph Project is a nonprofit organization that connects human trafficking survivors with pro bono legal counsel, which you're going to hear more about why he started this, why it's important, and how you can be a part of it if you're in interested as we talk today. Nate is an attorney and he currently serves as a federal law enforcement officer. He investigates international terrorist laws, which is not what we talk about today, but I still think is very, very cool. But he was previously assigned to the Department of Sex Trafficking, and that is where his whole journey with the Joseph Project started. We talked today about his experience in learning about domestic human trafficking, which if you've never been exposed to the idea that human trafficking is happening in our domestic borders, your eyes are going to be open today. My eyes were open to this years ago, and I have never been the same. We talked today about what domestic sex trafficking is and what it is not, which is sometimes helpful just to have some definitions to understand what we're talking about. And again, we spent a lot of time talking about his nonprofit called The Joseph Project and how you can be a part of it as well. Friends, we are getting towards the end of January, and I remind you again about our marriage challenge that my husband Aaron and I are doing together with you, and we would love to invite you to join us. If you're interested in joining us, text the word marriage to 55444. We're going to then text you back instructions on how you can be a part of this challenge with us. And again, We're not experts here. We're just trying to do our best to love our spouses well, to cheer for them, to be for each other. And we want to do that intentionally. And we'd love to provide resources to help you do that as well. Guys, speaking of resources and speaking of marriage, I have a very big announcement on Monday. Yes, a very big announcement comes on Monday. It'll be in our newsletter. So if you are not subscribed to our newsletter, today would be a great day to do that. You can go to jamieivy.com slash newsletter. We're sending out a big announcement on Monday, so I want you to be a part of it. But on normal weeks, we send you information on Wednesdays and Fridays with things that we think you will love and enjoy to know about. Again, everything I mentioned, if you missed any of it, you can go to the webpage and see all the show notes for every single happy hour. To find information about this happy hour, go to jamieivy.com slash hh358. Nate, welcome to the happy hour. Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. This is exciting, and I do need to let you know, I think you're my very first federal law enforcement officer that I've ever had on the show. So you're a first. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. What an honor to be here. And, you know, I hope that you'll behave yourself for the next hour or so. (laughs) Me too. Thank you. I'm glad we're on Zoom just in case. But in all seriousness, tell everyone what you do for a living. 
you know, I'm an attorney by training and I currently serve as a special agent in the FBI's Detroit division. And in my current role, I investigate violations of international terrorism laws. But prior to this assignment, I was assigned to the FBI's Detroit division human trafficking squad, where I was investigating circumstances related to the commercial exploitation, both adults and juveniles, and also child pornography violations. I'm ready for this conversation with you, Nate. This is an important conversation. If there are, I was telling you before the show, if there are longtime listeners of the happy hour, having conversations about trafficking is not going to be new to our listeners. And so I'm proud of them for being informed. I know for me personally, did not learn about trafficking in our country, the United States of America, until about 10 years ago. And I remember thinking, oh, wait, I thought this just happened, you know, in third world countries around the world. And my eyes were opened. I've told this story before. It's worth telling again. I went on a woman here who worked with an organization, took me on a drive probably about 10 years ago, drove me around my city, Austin, Texas, and pointed out brothels minutes from my home. And I remember after that hour long with her in the van, I got out of the car and I looked her straight in the eyes and I said, I wish I would have never said yes to this because now I know. And once you know, you can't unknow. And it has been a journey of me caring and volunteering and listening and learning. And so I wanted you to know I'm so grateful for your voice today and what you're doing. And so I want to jump in and ask you a couple questions. First of all, this is just curious for me. You said you were assigned to that department. Is that really how it goes down? You walk into work one day and here's your new assignment? Or did you have any kind of desire to work in that department of investigating trafficking against women and children, or not just women, adults and children? So it's interesting how it works. You know, when you go to the FBI Academy, which is down in Quantico, Virginia, you know, one of the things that they do is they take a look at your background and they sort of size you up. And I think they make a determination about where would this person best fit within the organization. And we tend to work on squads within the FBI. And so, you know, because of some of the past attorney work, the legal work that I had done at the Michigan Attorney General's office, I think somebody took a look at that and they said, well, we have just the squad for you. We're going to put you on, you know, the Detroit Division's anti-trafficking squad. And so that's where I began my career as an agent, which is not a common thing for agents to be placed on on that particular violation because of the severity of it. But that's where I started. And then, you know, several months later, once I finished my probationary period, I was moved over to the counterterrorism squads, which, you know, was not altogether unexpected. We were told at the academy that new agents are commonly transferred so that they can get a flavor of the diverse violations that the Bureau addresses. So it wasn't altogether unexpected. And I valued both experiences, but for very different reasons. So when you were assigned that, you know, I just told my, you know, vulnerability of not understanding trafficking until 10 years ago, and I'm a 42-year-old grown woman. What was your journey walking into that assignment, having to understanding about trafficking in our country, in the state where you're working, and in our world? Yeah, well, it's funny how God works, right? I mean, human trafficking wasn't something that I was particularly concerned about as I was going through my educational journey. But fortunately, I think it's something that God was very concerned about. And so, you know, unexpectedly, I found myself working at the Michigan Attorney General's office. And in that role, very, very shortly after I began working there, I was placed on the state's very first Commission on Human Trafficking, which was organized by then Attorney General Bill Schuette. And in that capacity, I was able to learn a great deal from a variety of statewide stakeholders about what human trafficking looks like domestically, what it's not, 
and some ways to push back against it. So fortunately, when I joined the FBI, I already had that background sort of laid down. And so it helped me to walk in with that understanding so that I could begin to investigate the violations from more of a frontline perspective, if you will. Okay, so can you tell us what domestic trafficking is and what it is not? I sure can. So, you know, I guess just to set forth a basic definition of human trafficking. So, you know, trafficking is the commercial exploitation of another person for sex or labor services through force, fraud or coercion. And so when you're commercially exploiting somebody, what you're doing is you're wronging them and you're profiting from it. So there's a monetary transaction that's occurring here. So if you can think of it as a commercial or a business transaction, that will help to clarify the violation for you a great deal. So trafficking is not the same thing as smuggling. You don't have to move somebody from point A to point B in order to traffic them. The only thing that you have to do is exploit them for profit by means of force, fraud, or coercion. So typically what that looks like is physical violence. It means defrauding somebody through promises of a better life. Or most commonly, what we see is somebody who's coerced by means of drug use, where somebody is controlling or facilitating another person's access to a controlled substance. Most of the time, it's crack cocaine and heroin and sometimes meth for other than legitimate medical purposes. When you're doing that, you're coercing somebody for purposes of human trafficking. You know, that's so interesting because I think the definition that you just gave, especially around the use of drugs, is one that people would not commonly think of as trafficking, as withholding something other than a medical reason and that coercion. And would you say in your work, would that be one of the most common domestic ways that we see trafficking or what is the most common domestic way? I would say it is the most common domestic way. So, you know, let me clarify. I love Liam Neeson and the first (laughs) Taken is fantastic. It's one of the best action movies ever. Two and three, not so much, but number one, fantastic. Isn't that usually how it is though, Nate? Like the first one, you're like amazing. You get to number three and you're like, what are we actually doing here anymore? (laughs) I mean, Pirates won, but that's Pirates. (laughs) After that, it's all way downhill. But anyway, you know, the picture of human trafficking that was painted in that movie is in many ways, in my view, what put the issue on the public radar, Mm -hmm. on the public consciousness. But I will tell you that at the Bureau, we do not often see situations where an individual is forcibly kidnapped and then placed into a situation where they are being forced into prostitution. It is far more common for somebody to be groomed and exploited online which then devolves into an in-person meeting, which then further devolves into an addiction, which is perpetuated and the individual is sold in order to continue to get the next hit of that addiction. You know, it's so interesting. A couple of years ago, I spent a handful of years serving in our county jail. We would meet weekly with the women there and we did uh, education classes. It was faith-based. Our ultimate goal was to let them know they were loved by, you know, God. But, you know, Nate, we would do our trafficking week and... It never failed that every single time we presented this subject, if there were new women in the group, there was a woman in there who a light bulb went off and she went, that happened to me and I've never heard those words before. That was my life and you're telling me that I was trafficked. And so I find it, like you said, the whole take in, like I'm going to kidnap. There's so much of that grooming process that sometimes some women are in the midst of it and don't even know that they're being trafficked. I just encountered it in the last week. You know, we frequently give presentations for public awareness purposes through the Joseph Project. And, you know, you encounter that a lot. And when you say the words drug-based coercion, Mm. which is a very, very frequent 
means by which people are trafficked, especially domestically, it is, as you say, a light bulb goes off in people's heads and they think that's exactly what I lived through, mm. but I didn't even know that it was called human trafficking, but in fact it is. Mm, so good. Okay. You mentioned the Joseph Project, and this is what I'm so excited to chat with you about. You started this in 2018, I believe. Tell me what it is, what led you here with your work, because I know uh, that you've moved on from the human trafficking department, but you're still highly involved uh, through the Joseph Project. So tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, answering that is really going to require a a story. Do you have time for a quick story? I have all the time in the world for a story. Okay, perfect. So, you know, I guess just to set the premise for the Joseph Project, you know, so this is a, a nonprofit organization. It's designed to connect survivors of human trafficking with pro bono legal counsel. And it's so important because when a survivor exits the circumstances of their exploitation, they are very oftentimes immediately confronted with legal collateral damage that if unaddressed will prevent them from moving forward into a brighter future where they are unencumbered to live the life that God designed for them to live. And so the Joseph Project seeks to address that problem by assigning what we call legal first responders. These are pro bono attorneys who are willing to step up and meet the urgent legal needs of survivors free of charge. So, you know, that's the central mission of the Joseph Project, to connect survivors with attorneys who can help them overcome their legal problems. Now, in terms of how it started, you know, it's so interesting when I look back at it because it really has the divine fingerprint all over it. You know, the impetus behind the organization wasn't something that happened as a result of an encounter that I had through the bureau necessarily on the streets or in a local hotel, if you were. It was more so something that happened as a result of my attendance at a church service one week. So, you know, I attend a church called Woodside Bible Church here in Detroit. It's a 14 campus church. It's very large. Thousands of people attend and it's a beautiful place. And, you know, I didn't feel like attending church this particular week. This was early in my FBI tenure. And for personal reasons, I just didn't feel like I was in that spiritually healthy place where I wanted to attend. But nonetheless, I did as an act of obedience and, you know, because I felt like that's what I should be doing. So I attend the service and about halfway through, you know, I'm sitting toward the back. There's thousands of people sitting in there. And the senior pastor, uh, Doug Schmidt at the time, he brings up this young lady who shares a story of horrendous human trafficking that occurred on the streets of Detroit over the span of a decade of time. Mm. And her name was Delyn. And I'm sitting there listening, and I'm a brand new FBI special agent assigned to the Detroit Division's human trafficking squad. And it hits me that even though I didn't necessarily want to be there that morning, I know that's not the Christian thing to say, but it's just the truth. It's true. We get it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Like, so I thought, though, you know, this is why I'm here. I'm supposed to go introduce myself to this young girl and to see if there's a way that I can help her through the FBI. So long story short, that kicks off a friendship that continues on to this day. But what I learned in the course of that friendship is that Delyn had an experience where not only was she trafficked, but she was on one occasion viciously assaulted, Mm. where she was stabbed nine times. Her jaw was broken by her controller. They considered and attempted to drown her in the bathtub. And then they talked about burning her alive in the house. So she's viciously assaulted and she's left in that condition for a period of days. When they finally conclude that she's going to die unless they take her to the hospital. So her controller loads her up in a car, takes her to the local hospital, dumps her on the doorstep and drives away. Now, the hospital fortunately treats Delyn for the injuries and she makes a full recovery, but she's charged the medical expenses associated with her treatment and she knows nothing about this. So years later, 
you know, when the hospital comes forward to to seek those payments, they start coordinating with a collection agency and they sue Delin and they're starting to garnish her wages in order to recoup the costs of her treatment. And Delin came to us and said, you know, I don't know the first thing about what to do here. Can you help me? And as an attorney, I took a look at that situation and I said, Delin, you need legal counsel here. Mm. You really need an attorney to intervene for you. And so I connected her with a couple of friends of mine who were willing to serve her pro bono free of charge. And in short, the result was incredible. You know, they were able to resolve the situation not only with the hospital, but they were able to fully compensate Delin for the payments that she had already made. And everybody came out in the way that they felt was appropriate. So it was a big win. And I thought in the end, well, if Delin has these kinds of problems, other survivors certainly do as well. And in fact, that was the case. So the Joseph Project was born. I love it so much. Now, the Joseph Project, where did you get the name Joseph Project from? I love this question, and it works, I think, on a couple of different levels. You know, so, of course, many uh, believers, and I assume perhaps listeners of your podcast will understand the story of Joseph from the biblical book of Genesis. But what I love about it so much is that even if you're not a person of faith, a lot of people will know about the story of Joseph because of the theatrical production by Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so, you know, whether you're a believer or you're not, I love the story is kind of imprinted on the cultural consciousness, right? But whether you fall on one side of that spectrum or the other, what I think is very often lost on so many people, or perhaps not even considered, is that Joseph is the textbook definition of a human trafficking survivor. Mm. So if you understand his story, you know that he was commercially exploited for labor services through force. He was sold into Egyptian slavery by his own brothers. But what I love so much about his journey is that he didn't stay a slave. As the story goes, because God was with him, because he stayed in faith and he persevered, he was able to make a transition and he became empowered as the prime minister of the entire nation of Egypt. So we say, that Joseph made a transition from exploitation to empowerment. And that's the transition that we want to facilitate for every survivor of trafficking that we serve. It's so beautiful. And man, I'm for your goal here. I am on your team right now cheering for you guys to do that. I have a question about your your services that you're offering. Delyn is the example in the story that you told, and, and she had these medical bills. But when I thought of that, when I was reading about the Joseph Project, I would have assumed, and maybe you do this and you can explain more, I would have assumed that your work would involve maybe prosecuting as your words, the controllers of the women, is that part of your work as well, going after? Because you're providing legal service for the woman or the person that has been trafficked. What is the most common thing you're doing? The medical bill thing, I would have never, ever, that would never entered my mind, Nate. And so what is the most common thing that the Joseph Project's doing? Yeah, so there are several broad categories that you know the legal needs of survivors tend to fall into. But before I talk about those, let me address your question about prosecution. So you know when you think about law enforcement, really the role of the FBI under the umbrella of what we call the DOJ, the Department of Justice. The FBI is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So we would be investigating violations of the federal laws of which human trafficking would certainly be included. And so once you have the evidence that you feel is appropriate to charge and convict somebody of that crime, through the Bureau, what you would do is you would take that to the United States Attorney's Office and you would coordinate with an attorney there to prosecute the alleged violator. And hopefully, if they're guilty in the way that you believe they are, they're going to be locked up for you know a substantial period of time until until they think about what they've done. That's the way that you sort of prosecute the perpetrator, okay, right? Okay, got it. But with the Joe 
Joseph Project, you know, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide direct services to the survivor. So it's less about the perpetrator and more about the survivor. And in those cases, you know, their needs tend to fall into these categories, the first of which is criminal record relief. So, you know, when you have a survivor of trafficking, it's very commonly the case that when they leave the circumstances of their exploitation, they are leaving with a criminal record because of activities in which they have been forced, defrauded, or coerced into participation. And so, you know, they have need of criminal defense attorneys who can help them overcome those challenges and clear their record. You also have family law challenges where uh, children, for example, have been separated from their parents and you have to go through a process, legally speaking, to reestablish custody and reunite a family together. Trafficking survivors care deeply about their children, in my experience. And then the third one is immigration. You know, if you have a foreign national, i.e. somebody who's not a U.S. citizen, who is trafficked into the country from another place, there are legal mechanisms to help that individual stay in the country legally, start to work in a legal capacity and rebuild their lives safely. But if you don't have legal counsel, it's very difficult to take advantage of those legal mechanisms. So that's the important work of the Joseph Project is to connect them with the counsel that can help. Nate, I could just cry right now. This is so amazing what you're doing. And I have two friends who have been on the show who are survivors and both of them, I believe, I don't want to speak out of turn here. I think both of them left their trafficker with felonies. And so when I hear you talk about that, I think, man, that is so true. And then the family law, I mean, when I would meet women in the jail, many of them had their children used against them as coercion of do not come back, you know, from this Houston, Dallas, Austin triangle until you've done X, Y, and Z and we're keeping your kids until you do. And that is just something that I think, I don't know how to say this correctly. People who don't know a lot about trafficking would not think about those things and think about these victims and survivors who are coming out needing this help. I love what you guys are doing because so many survivors, when they are released or they are freed from their their traffickers not only need legal help they're left with nothing there's no way to income they don't have their family and as someone who is constantly telling people hey use the gifts god's given you to do great things you're asking lawyers to say hey you've been given a gift you have a talent you have a job here here's how you can help with trafficking so when i think about the joseph project and lawyers using their gifts to help traffickers is that what you're doing? You're asking lawyers to come aside or what's the greatest need that you guys have and how can people step in and be a part of this if they are lawyers or are not lawyers? You know, if you are a lawyer, so if you're listening to this interview and you're an attorney or perhaps you know somebody in your sphere of influence who's an attorney, you know, the goal is really to build out what we call a national justice delivery system, a nationwide legal network where a survivor of trafficking can receive free legal help wherever they are identified. So whether that's Detroit or L.A. or Chicago or New York or Dallas or Austin or wherever, that's what we want to exist. And that's what we're trying to build out. It's something that doesn't exist now and it needs to because the legal needs are everywhere. And so if you're an attorney, you certainly we would invite you to go to josephproject.com. There's a contact page. You can reach out to us and we welcome the opportunity to discuss ways that we could partner together. If you're not an attorney, you mentioned that category of people as well. You know, giving always does help with a mission, of course. You know, it's not why the Joseph Project was started, candidly. It was never about money. So, you know, it's sometimes funny for me to even talk about it, but, you know, we have some beautiful givers and supporters and even some of them who are featured on our our videos on, you know, things like the website and the YouTube channel. And what I love about their heart is that, you know, it's not for them or us really at the end of the day about the dollars, but it's more about their belief in the mission and the fact that they see the same need that we do. 
and they believe like we do that the need needs to be met, that the mm. justice gap needs to be filled. So when you give, it's really a reflection to us that you believe and support the mission more than anything else. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. She said, get out the chat room and clean my Glad Girl Group coming at you with a throwback jam. That was Glad Force Flex Drawstring Trash Bags featuring Pine Salt Original Scent. And that's better than all good. It's all Glad. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. You say you want this nationwide network. How is that going for you guys? I mean, you're a new organization. So what does that look like for you guys right now as far as how many areas do you have covered so far in the nation? One of the things that I've noticed in listening to some of your episodes, which I love, you know, so you talk about, you know, the big things in life, the little things in life, and then everything in between. And, you know, Jamie, I love that. And I will tell you, in my experience, what I have seen, though, sometimes is that what God is asking me and what he's inviting me into is this invitation to see the big within the small. Mm. So what I mean by that is oftentimes what small act of obedience could you take that if you were willing to take it, I would totally blow the doors off of your expectations and bring you to a completely different place. Kind of like the decision to go to church that morning, you know, Mm -hmm. as a sheer act of obedience, you know, you go and as a result, you meet somebody who changes the trajectory of your future. That's a beautiful small thing, but there's a big thing hidden somewhere inside there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to me, when I think about a, a nationwide legal network, you know, the mandate that I feel from the Lord is start small, start right where you are. And what we've done is we've seen, you know, dozens of survivors referred to us, not just from the Detroit area, but in the last couple of years, we've also seen referrals come to us from Houston, Arizona, Ohio, Indiana, Connecticut, New York. I believe there was an issue that arose in Oklahoma as well. So word is starting to kind of percolate out there slowly but surely. And I love that, that, you know, you shouldn't look down on the day of small beginnings because they can really lead to bigger things. Hey, I'm believing really big things for you guys in the Joseph Project, okay? Like, I think this is great and much, much, much needed. I have a question, and it's a curious question on my own part. You said something earlier that I don't think I've ever heard anyone in human trafficking conversations say, and you can tell that I referred to a woman's I should say a humans because it's not only women. That's a very misconception. But as a person's over them, I'm finding a hard way to say this without using the word you use. I've called them their trafficker or their pimp. And you use the word their controller. 
I've never yeah. heard that in all of my conversations about human trafficking. Is there hmm. a reason you use that word? And can you educate me a bit in that? You know, there's not a giant particular reason why. I think okay. that whether you talk about somebody as a controller, an exploiter, a trafficker, certainly in common street parlance, you would refer to that person as a pimp, no question about it. These, in my view, are all largely synonymous for individual who is exploiting a fellow human being through force, fraud, or coercion. Okay. You just choose to use that word. I've just never heard it before. Yeah. I, I was like, maybe I don't know something that Nate knows, and he's about to just blow my mind over here with a reason <laughs> for this. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think that we're on the level here, Jamie. We're on the level. We're talking the same language. You know, I have, this is January, and I didn't know this until just this weekend that we're recording, is that January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And I love months like this. There's probably something every single day. There's probably like a national ice cream day somewhere. I'm sure there is. But in January, the focus is educating on human trafficking. I guess I would want to ask you if someone is listening and they are thinking, man, I just have not heard about this a lot. This is not something that's been on my radar, which I think is very common for most Americans is to say like, what? This is happening? What would you say are some of the top misconceptions that someone might have about human trafficking in the United States of America? So in a domestic sense. I think it's so vital that we understand accurately what's actually going on. And, you know, I do think that there is still a large contingent of people who believe that this is primarily perpetrated by a kidnapping mm. into a forced prostitution. And we have seen that and it can happen and it does happen. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But what I'm saying is that it's far less common than people realize what is far more common and what is very much more in the main of what we are seeing in terms of our investigations is situations where people are leveraged or coerced by means of, of drug use and they are ensnared in that lifestyle and they're trafficked as a result. So, you know, I think that's a common misconception. I also think that it's still very, very common for people to believe that trafficking is synonymous with the transportation, the movement of people from A to be. It is not. You do not have to move somebody anywhere to exploit them. You can profit off of the exploitation of another person from the confines of your own vehicle, your own home, a local hotel room. You do not have to move someone across the state or an international border to traffic them. And I think that's a big misconception. You know, I think another one that I would like to hear you address as well is I've heard a lot of people say, well, if a woman was, you know, sex trafficked and maybe using the word prostitute, well, she could leave or she's choosing this or this is her lifestyle that she likes. Can you speak to that a little bit about some misconceptions about what that might be like for a woman who is in what would look like, quote unquote, prostitution? And I don't know why I'm saying, quote unquote, but I just know a lot of people say that. You know, I want to be very careful here because I think whether you have a situation that is a legitimate circumstance of prostitution versus a circumstance where it's legitimate human trafficking. And by the way, both are illegal in most places. I'm not saying legitimate in terms of legality. I'm right. saying this is definitionally what you're talking about. So in prostitution, there's a distinction to be made because what you have there is an individual. It could be female or male, as you rightly pointed out. And in a prostitution situation, what you have is an individual who is involved in a sex for money arrangement where that individual is the one profiting from the exchange. OK, so again, think of it in terms of a commercial transaction, the quote unquote prostitute, the sex worker, as they're sometimes referred to, is the person profiting. Now, 
let's look at human trafficking, which is something different. In that scenario, what you have is an embedded third party. You have an exploiter, a pimp, a controller, who is the one profiting from the sex for money agreement in this example by means of force, fraud, or coercion. That's the difference between the two. You know, that's also, I mentioned the light bulb that women would have in the county jail. That was usually the light bulb moment for them. We would ask them, were you allowed to keep all of your money? Did you have to do this in return for drugs? And that was usually the moment that they went, no, I wasn't allowed to. I had to give so much of the profit or I did this to get drugs. And that's when we would say you were actually trafficked. And do you see that often when you would be investigating with the FBI? We do see that a lot. And, you know, I think that that is a big contributing factor to why the data surrounding human trafficking is so incomplete is because it very often gets conflated with other sorts of crimes and violations and activities Mm. where people are literally unable to recognize it, even though it's right in front of their eyes. So trafficking has frequently been described as a form of modern day slavery that is hidden in plain sight. You can be looking right at it, but you don't recognize it because you don't know what you're looking for in the moment. So that's very common. And I think it leads to very skewed data on the issue. It's so crazy. I mean, my friend Rebecca Bender, who's been on the show before and doing tons of great um, activism work for trafficking domestically. I mean, when she was talking about her story and in her book as well, I mean, she lived in a house that anyone else would live in with her trafficker. Her daughter was there. They went to events of her kid. I mean, you would just look from the outside and think, oh, this is just a quote unquote regular family who she would have been, you know, I guess maybe labeled by some as a prostitute, but she was actually being trafficked the entire time. Can I ask you this too? And I think I know the answer to this because I learned this before. Uh, Talk about children. Is it true? I have learned that if it's a child and they're under 18, it does not matter about anything else. They're automatically trafficked. True? True. Yes. What I mean is under the TVPA, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, there are elements that you would have to prove, i.e. force, fraud, and coercion, as we talked about. But if you have a juvenile at issue, Those elements, if you will, those legal elements are assumed if you have somebody under the age of 18. So, you know, if there's a juvenile in play, you do not have to prove force, fraud or coercion. From your work as an investigator, is it hard to prove these things? I mean, here's why it's confusing to me. I told you about that car ride I went on, right? And I remember afterwards thinking, if you are a regular citizen and you're showing me where all the brothels are, I don't know why we can't just bust in these doors and arrest everybody and then just solve this whole problem. So is it difficult to prove these things? One of the great advantages that we have today with the proliferation of technology and the fact that trafficking is so often originating online is that, you know, whether it's a website or a social media application or an email exchange back and forth, you know, those things create what we would call digital exhaust or a Mm -hmm. paper trail. Mm -hmm. You know, you are able to very common legal mechanisms like subpoenas and things like that. You can collect information from the relevant providers to demonstrate what you believe to be going on. So, you know, it's oftentimes just a matter of connecting a phone number to an IP address to the subscriber of the phone and then, you know, executing a search warrant or an arrest warrant on the location where they happen to be. So I guess my answer would be if you have the requisite evidence, no, I don't think it would be difficult to prove at all. And because it's so much driven by technology, you often do have that written record of what's been going on. And that helps a lot. I have a question for you, knowing that you love Jesus, like I love Jesus, and working in this area of work has got to be so difficult for your heart sometimes to reconcile what you're hearing, what you're seeing, talking to victims and hearing their stories. I would imagine it is so 
exhausting and draining on yourself. How do you as a person, as a man, stay connected to God and believe that he is good in the midst of hearing such horrific experiences from people at the hands of other human beings? I think um, when I connect my work to the story of Joseph, it tends to help. I'm a big believer in that story. And, you know, the central premise behind what we uh, what we do at the organization is a verse at the end of the book of Genesis, Genesis 50, 20. And it's simple and it's beautiful. It says, you meant evil, God meant good. Joseph yeah. speaking to his brothers who trafficked him. You would say maybe that it's the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8:28, where, you know, Paul is saying, we know that God is able to work all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And, you know, I love the idea from the biblical narrative that Joseph was prepared for the future that he dreamed about. You know, he didn't just have a dream and then it all materialized at one time. He had to go through a very difficult journey to arrive there. And similarly with me, I do feel that there is a degree to which I've been prepared for the work in terms of academics, in terms of the law enforcement aspects of it. I've been through rigorous training, and I thank God for the ability to use my brain and my body to complete those trainings. But I will tell you that I think it's a stubborn clinging to that verse Mm. of 5020 that says no matter what happens to you in life, whether it's a trafficking situation or some other type of injustice, if you will stay in faith, if you will persevere, then God has the ability and the desire to work it out for good for you. That's his heart for you. That's his intention. If you thought that God was against you, he's not. There are many things in life that may come against you, but God is not one of them. He is for you. God is for you. That's what I know. I love that. I would imagine that that brings so much hope to any survivor that has contact with you guys through the Joseph Project. And that hope is something that we can all stand on, is that God is for us and he uses what is meant for evil for good for us. Nate, I am just so excited about the work that you guys are doing. And I cannot wait to tell, as soon as I get out the conversation with you, I'm texting my friends who also work in organizations that are fighting trafficking and tell them about you guys and hope y'all can all get connected and work together because that's when the good things start to happen. Thanks so much. Everyone can find you, josephproject.com. Is that where they can go to find out more information? josephproject.com. Super simple. Super simple. We'll send everybody there. And I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. She said, get out the chat room and clean my Glad Girl Group coming at you with a throwback jam. That was Glad Force Flex Drawstring Trash Bags featuring Pine Sol Original Scent. And that's better than all good. It's all glad. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Okay, what are you loving? What are you reading? What are you watching? There's a lot. You know, I think even in the midst of the pandemic, there's a lot. You know, so, Jamie... They just put 
a Chick-fil-A, like really, really close to where I work. And it like you wouldn't believe like the lines that oh, I'm, I'm sure. willing to wait in. Yes. Like to get these chicken nuggets. And like, so I have a tip for the audience. If you're listening, you got to download the app. You got to order through the app. And then when you arrive, you just put in your parking space and they'll run it right out to you. And it's always this. Thank you so much. And it's my pleasure to serve you. It's my and it's pleasure like, no, to no, serve no. you. The pleasure <laughs> is really all mine. <laughs> you don't I even know. know. I know. I know. <laughs> Nate, here's the deal with Chick-fil-A. Whenever I'm like in a long line at, you know, TSA or I'm in a long line on the phone waiting for something, I think, why cannot everyone be like Chick-fil-A? You know how fast they get people through their lines? They can have 500 people come through there. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom. I never wait long at Chick-fil-A. It's the best. It's the best. And I love their app too because you can rack up those points. And then, I mean, for me, sharing a checking account with my husband, there's sometimes I just don't need him to know how many times I go to Chick-fil-A. Okay? Like just, you know, it's not his business. It's my business. I use my free stuff half of the time because you get free stuff when you use the app. I'm not, I'm just giving everybody a tip too. If you need to hide some money from your husband or your roommate or whatever. <laughs> I'm helping you out. <laughs> well, so, all right. So here's the danger, though. So I want to give you some top cover here. What we call it, the FBI's top cover. So here's the danger with that. So you're going to get an email like I did at the beginning of 2021. Okay. And they're going to say, congratulations, you became like a silver member in like two seconds. And it really seems like you loved the chicken nuggets in 2020. So come back. We're going to give you a reward. So the danger is your husband's going to start getting the emails. So you might want to figure that one out. <laughs> Hilarious, hilarious. Maybe they'll go to his spam. That's I'm just praying. Don't let Aaron get the Chick-fil-A emails. You know, what's also funny about Chick-fil-A, Nate, years ago, we were vegetarians. <laughs> when my kids were at childcare and I was by myself, I would go to Chick-fil-A and I would get the nuggets or a sandwich. I would eat it alone in my car in a parking lot. Like I'm trying to hide stuff. I would throw the evidence away so no one could see it. And then I would tell myself, it's Christian chicken. It can be bad for me. Like, this is good chicken. And so that's my funny Chick-fil-A story. Yeah, the FBI is going to find that. I mean, you <laughs> try as you might. I mean, listen, it just takes one call. Your husband, it just takes one call. Hey, I'm just glad I know an FBI agent now. So I'm in the clear. Keep it in your back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Okay. You're loving Chick-fil-A near your office. What else? So, all right. My question to you is, do you remember, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but do you remember a group called DC Talk? Do you remember uh, these guys? DC Talk, love is a verb. Yes. Love, oh my goodness. <laughs> so, all right. So here's the deal for your listeners. So in 95, they really kind of hit their stride and they released an album called Jesus Freak, right? Oh, yes. And 2020, you know, is like the 25 year anniversary and they've been tweeting all about it. And it, like, Toby, Mike, and Kevin, like these guys were just so far ahead of their time. It's been so fun to kind of go back and listen to that album. And it's just so packed with like these socially conscious, amazing Christian lyrics. You've got to go listen to it if you haven't heard it. It's I'm amazing. I'm going to have to pull it back up because you said it right. They were ahead of their time. I mean, it was like this thing that we just could not even believe was coming out of contemporary Christian music. It was fabulous. Nate. It's been a joy to talk to you. I'm such a fan of the work that you're doing. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for standing up and caring for the least of these when most of these survivors could go unnoticed and uncared for and because of Jesus and the way that he stands up for the least of these guys at the Joseph Project are doing the exact same thing. And so I'm honored to know you and excited to see how God expands your ministry. Well, thank you so much again for having us on the show. And, you know, Jamie, thank you for giving survivors a voice. That's a big part of legal advocacy is to give survivors a voice. And I feel like in a different medium, that's exactly what you're doing. And we're so grateful for that. Mm, thank you so much. 
Okay, guys, I hope you loved this conversation with Nate as much as I did. I learned something. I was encouraged. I'm so excited for the work that he's doing with the Joseph Project and the way that he is seeing survivors as people who deserve to have help with their legal needs just like anyone else. If you're interested in learning more about the Joseph Project or want to volunteer, check them out at thejosephproject.com. Two more things I want to tell you about. If you're interested in hearing more conversations on the happy hour about trafficking, I would love for you to check out two of my favorite episodes with two of my friends. Rebecca Bender was on the show, episode number 291, and she shares her journey of being trafficked and becoming a survivor. And then my friend Holly Hayes was episode number 185, and she also shares her story. Both of them are huge advocates for survivors now and spending their life dedicated to helping survivors. They both have books. They're both are amazing people. And then the last thing I want to tell you is I read a book years ago called Girls Like Us, Fighting for a World Where Girls Are Not for Sale. It's a memoir by Rachel Lloyd. I cannot recommend this book enough. If you are wanting to learn more about trafficking, this is a great book. It is hard to read. I remember reading the book and after every chapter, I would literally have to close it. And sometimes and my brain did not have room for what I was reading, but it's important to know that these things are happening and exist. So then we can cheer on my friends like Holly and Rebecca who were doing such great work and Nate who is using his giftings that God has given him to help survivors get the legal needs they need met. Guys, join me back here next week as I talk to Amy Crouch, who wrote a book about being technology-wise for young people. She wrote a book with her dad, and her dad, a couple of years ago, wrote a book for the families to be tech-wise, and now Amy is writing one for people in her age group, teenagers, young adults, honestly, me too, you too. So join me back here next week with Amy Crouch. Today's show is edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper. Show notes are written by Abby Castell. The whole thing is organized by Lindsay Swinney. Oh, and that song you hear is written by Matt Graham. Thanks for listening. If you love the show, share it with a friend. That's the number one way people hear about the show. Have a happy hour this week. Be intentional with the people in your life and then join us back here next week. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 